for more information or if you want to help or if you have or know of a food tree that he's picking you can contact Lauren with at produce to the people at produce to the people at gmail.com Fellow citizens, pardon me. Allow me to ask, why am I called upon to speak here today? What have I or those I represent to do with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and natural justice embodied in that Declaration of Independence extended to us? Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that brought light and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th July is yours, not mine. Do you mean, citizens, to mock me by asking me to speak today? Standing with God and the crushed and bleeding slave on this occasion, I will, in the name of humanity which is outraged, in the name of liberty which is fettered, in the name of the Constitution and the Bible which are disregarded and trampled upon, dare to call in question and to denounce with all the emphasis I can command everything that serves to perpetuate slavery, the great sin and shame of America. Labor and love, y'all. Oh, had I the ability Frederick Douglass through Morgan Freeman speaks about today pour out Fourth of July. stream of biting ridicule. The conscience of the nation must be roused. The propriety of the nation must be startled. The hypocrisy of the nation must be exposed and his crimes against God and man must be proclaimed and denounced. What to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham, your boasted liberty an unholy license, your national greatness, swelling vanity. Your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless. Your denunciation of tyrants, brass-fronted impudence, your shouts of liberty and equality, hollow mockery. Your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings with all your religious parade and solemnity are to him mere Bombast, fraud, deception, impiety, and hypocrisy. A thin veil to cover up crimes which would disgrace a nation of savages. 
There is not a nation on the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of the United States at this very hour for revolting barbarity and shameless hypocrisy. America reigns without rival. For more of The People Speak, go to history.com slash peoplespeak. Texas, Oklahoma. 
show where we tell you how it is the floors while you're gawking. leading off with some maybe once you tip me and it makes you feel swell in this crummy southern town in this crummy old hotel but you'll never get to vile. no you couldn't ever guess to who you're talking then one there's a scream in the night and you wonder who could that have been and you see me kind of grinning while I'm scrubbing and you say what she got to grin I'll tell you there's a she the black freighter the skull on its masthead will be coming in you gentlemen can say hey gal finish them floors get upstairs what's wrong with you earn your keep here and you toss me your tips and look out to the ships but I'm counting your heads as I'm making the beds because there's nobody gonna sleep here Tonight, nobody's going to sleep here, honey. Nobody. Nobody. Then one night, there's a scream in the night, and you say, who's that kicking up a row? And you see me kind of staring out the window. 
and you say, what she got to stare at now? I'll tell you, there's a ship, the black freighter turns around in the harbor, shooting guns from her bow. smile off your face because every building in town is a flat one this whole freaking place will be down to the ground only this cheap hotel standing up safe and sound and you yell why do they spare that one yes that's what you say why do they spare that one that lives up there and you see me stepping out in the morning looking nice with a ribbon in my hair <laughs> and the ship the black freighter
Simone. This is the Be Welcome. It's a Saturday morning and you're here and I'm here. This is the show where we tell you how it is. When one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. Like investments. If you don't have a seat at the table at the negotiating table where you work you're probably on the menu and never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor and when I say labor I mean you good morning everybody happy July 9th what's the week July 8th happy July 8th we're here working the day shift with you from 10 to 12 We're going to talk about pipelines today, part of our show, the pipeline campaign that's over and the pipeline campaigns that continue as big money tries to strangle Mother Earth. We had uh, Frederick Douglass, read by Morgan Freeman talking about why the 4th of July is meaningless to him and how hollow all the promises of the Declaration of Independence are only for a certain portion of the population. No law is good for everybody. And it turned out that the American fixation with law and justice and humanity was just that, just a fixation. It never went really beyond being a promise. As Howard Zinn pointed out, workers were attracted to the United States. White workers, mostly, were attracted to the United States by the language of social justice, the idea of social justice. An idea which in most cases existed only in their brain. And freedom became freedom to exploit. So we had Frederick Douglass by Morgan Freeman. We had a couple songs by uh, Nobel Prize winner Bob Dylan. The Subterranean Homesick Blues, which describes a life of a kid from a working-class home and the choices he's presented. Dylan followed with Do Re Mi, a Woody Guthrie song about uh, migrants coming from the Midwest and South parts of the United States to California in the 1930s. And if you don't got the Do Re Mi, just go back. Go back to beautiful Texas Mississippi, Kentucky, Tennessee. 
And then we finished that with Pirate Jenny, the composition of Kurt Brecht and... I'm sorry, Bertolt Brecht and Kurt Weill from the Three Penny Opera. I don't know if that... Sung to great effect by Nina Simone. And that's what we started out with. And now... We're going to get on here with a little... News from around the world. Labor news from around the world. See what else we got here. Let me hear Calle 13. Celebrate Louis Armstrong, who always told everybody his birthday was on July 4th, but it turned out it was on August 4th. Okay, we've got, and like I say, we're going to talk a lot about pipelines. The pipeline campaign that was just defeated at Standing Rock, South Dakota, was, is, a method for oil people like the Koch brothers to make a lot of money by moving Canadian oil, heavy, viscous oil, to be refined in New Orleans and shipped overseas. So the pipeline is basically so they can bring... Anyway, let's get into this part later on. It's such a compelling... Uh, compelling idea, the whole uh, idea of digging a pipeline under a river. Cases of police brutality continue against our African-American brothers and sisters. And uh, this is Malcolm X, as usual, prescient on the issue. Find out why they stopped building Harlem Hospital. There were people in Harlem fighting hard for a long time to get that hospital built. Had a hard time getting a white man even to start it. Then when they finally started on it, and there's nothing you need in Harlem more than a hospital, because you're sick, and you just got cut, or you're just getting ready to cut someone else. And we needed that hospital. So all these people had a brainstorm. They got up there and picketed and demonstrated, and the white man took away all the workers, stopped to work. As someone said earlier this afternoon, they're still being paid and the hospital is not going up. Your money, the money you pay out in taxes, is, is paying the white construction workers who are sitting at home doing nothing. This is some brainstorm that someone got off the track on when they tried to stop the construction of the hospital in Brooklyn, couldn't stop it. Because that hospital is for white people, primarily, and you are not going to stop construction where the white man is to benefit. The only thing you're going to stop is something right here in Harlem. But what really stopped the work up there, too many of y'all was out there. And the white man is free to you. As long as the line up there was, uh, Cora originally started the picketing, and there were more whites picketing than, than blacks. Nobody was worried. Plus, they started picketing on a cool day, and our people don't come out when it's cool. It was on a Wednesday, I think, and it was cool. And then on a Thursday, everybody came out there. They weren't demonstrating, but they came out there as spectators. 
And when all these black people uh, as spectators began to stand there and watch, they were afraid because they knew that with the picketers uh, picketing, any little thing could happen. And even though you don't want to integrate, if the white man started beating some integrationist heads across the street, you couldn't stand there and watch it. Your nature wouldn't let you do it. And this is what would make you explode. He knows that. So he stopped the building of the hospital, but they have not been successful in bringing a halt to any other construction in the city of New York outside of Harlem. So if they really meant good, they could have stopped that building over there in uh, Brooklyn. That you can bring a halt to all the construction in New York City if those preachers are really for real. All they got to do is take all their congregation and take them down to Times Square. Tie it up. Now I'm not talking Muslims are going to do this, but go and do something. And don't care what it costs. Don't care what the penalty or the price is. When you know you're right, you're right. And if you're not willing to go all the way, don't even start. Get on out of the line. Get on out of the battle. And that's another reason why we don't pick it with you. As Reverend said, we're not nonviolent. We have demonstrated. We pull a demonstration. But when we demonstrate, if you ever see us fall out in a demonstration, we are ready to die or we're ready to see that someone else dies. I don't mean no turn the other cheek. This is the only reason that we don't become involved in these nonviolent demonstrations. It's not fair to walk up to a man nonviolently and he got a club in his hand. You're out of your mind. So you should check and find out what started, what stopped, who is behind, and one of the leading men I saw out that day, out there that day, was a white man named Herbert Hill. Herbert Hill is the labor secretary for NAACP. Now Herbert Hill, a white man holding a top position in the NAACP, can come to Harlem and stop the building of a hospital that's for the benefit of black people, if that white liberal really has your welfare at heart, let him go downtown and stop some of these other construction sites. And until these white liberals, or white people, who call themselves liberals, can go into their own neighborhood and stop construction, don't let them come in Harlem and start telling you what to do. No, when you want them, if they want some action, you give them some action. And you'll bring about a change and you hold in the entire direction of your program and of your struggle and you'll get a job done. We want every black man and woman to have freedom, the freedom to accept or reject being separated from the slave master's children and establish a land of our own. And that's what he says, give all of us freedom of choice. First, give every one of the 20 million black people in this country an opportunity to hear the truth. Let them be taught the truth about the white man and the truth about the black man. Let them be taught the truth about God and the truth about the devil. Let them be taught the truth about heaven and the truth about hell. And once they know the truth, then give them a chance to make a decision. But don't take this poor, dumb, deaf and blind, ignorant, brainwashed, so-called Negro and ask him what he wants. He doesn't know what he wants. And because he doesn't know what he wants, he tries to integrate with a blue-eyed wolf. Don't you know anytime you see some sheep, trying to integrate with wolves, those sheep are sick. Those sheep are out of their mind. And a sheep got more chance with a wolf than you got integrated with a white man. Why a wolf can't be as hot on a sheep as the white man has been on you here in America. We want an immediate end to the police brutality and mob attacks against the so-called Negro throughout the United States. Yes.
a complete end to the police brutality and mob attacks that our people are confronted by every single day, every single week, every single month, every single year across the land. Brother, show me those, you got those pictures? Brother, grab that picture of Brother Ronald. Let me show you what I mean by police brutality and mob attacks. Come over here with that. Here is a man, a Korean vet. This is a black man, a Korean vet. Went to war in Korea fighting for America. Risked his life fighting for America. And came back to this country and was shot down by the white man like a dog. Not some Ku Klux Klansman down in Mississippi. This black man was shot through the heart by policemen in Los Angeles, California. And they are dumb enough to think we have forgotten it. We are Muslim never forget. You don't kill our brother. We don't never forget. You don't shoot one of us and then grin in our face. You don't shoot one of us and then shake our hands and think we forget it. No, we never forget. We'll never forget. Someone has to pay. Somewhere, somehow, someone has to pay. When a snake bites your children, you don't go and look for the snake that has blood on his jaws. Any old snake will do. Any old snake will do. They shot him through the heart. And as he lay dying on the sidewalk, they beat that hole in his head with police clubs. Not in Mississippi, but in Los Angeles, California. Not in the South, right there in the North, in the West. Here it shows, here it shows, men, black men, laid all over the sidewalk, shot down by police bullets. Not men who were guilty of some crime, not men who were drunk, not men who attacked anyone, but they shot their way into our mosque, shot their way into our religious sanctuary, and got the audacity to walk around here talking about this as a country based upon uh, the principles of freedom of religion and freedom of worship and freedom of speech. This country is based upon nothing but hypocrisy, and it's based upon nothing but the right of white people to mutilate and shoot down black people. This is the brutality that we're talking about. This is the crime that we're talking about. And you say we teach hate. What kind of hate are we teaching? We're telling you what happens to black people. And this man didn't get shot down because he was a Muslim. They didn't ask him what his religion was. They saw that he was black and they began to fire point blank. And then when they went to court, these Gestapo, they were the criminals. They didn't go to court. They charged him. He's a dead man. And they charged him with a crime. But these Negroes here shot down were charged with a crime. And you haven't heard anybody open their mouth about it. You wonder why you're having trouble in this country. You're having trouble because the devil is on the rampage. A blue-eyed devil is on the rampage. A heartless devil is on the rampage. A beast is on the rampage. And you haven't got sense enough to know how to handle it. So, so we don't try and handle it. God is going to handle it. We ask God to give him justice. We ask God to trap him. We ask God to catch him. We ask God to deal with him. And we pray that God deals with more of them day after day. And what ones God don't get, we'll get them.
dejaron Soy toda la sobra de lo que se robaron Un pueblo escondido en la cima Mi piel es de cuero, por eso aguanta cualquier clima Soy una fábrica de humo Mano de obra campesina para tu consumo Frente de frío en el medio del verano El amor en los tiempos del cólera, mi hermano El sol que nace y el día que muere Con los mejores atardeceres Soy el desarrollo en carne viva Un discurso político sin saliva Las caras más bonitas que he conocido Soy la fotografía de un desaparecido La sangre dentro de tus venas Soy un pedazo de tierra Que vale la pena una canasta con frijoles soy Maradona contra Inglaterra, anotándote dos goles Soy lo que sostiene mi bandera, la espina dorsal del planeta en mi cordillera Soy lo que me enseñó mi padre, el que no quiere a su patria, no quiere a su madre Soy América Latina, un pueblo sin pierna pero que camina, oye Tú no puedes comprar al viento Pa' cuando me sonrío La nieve que maquilla mis montañas Tengo el sol que me seca Y la lluvia que me baña Un desierto embriagado con peyote Un trago de pulque Para cantar con los coyotes Todo lo que necesito Tengo a mis pulmones Respirando azul clarito La altura que sofoca Soy las muelas de mi boca Mascando coca El otoño con sus hojas desmayadas Los versos escritos bajo la noche estrellada Una viña repleta de uva Un cañaveral Bajo el sol en Cuba Soy el mar caribe que vigila las casitas Haciendo rituales Y agua bendita el viento que peina mi cabello Soy todos los santos que cuelgan de mi cuello El jugo de mi lucha no es artificial Porque el abono de mi tierra es natural Tú no puedes comprar el viento Tú no puedes comprar el sol Tú no puedes comprar la lluvia Tú no puedes comprar el Aquí se comparte, lo mío es tuyo 
Este pueblo no se ahoga con marullo Y si se derrumba yo lo reconstruyo Tampoco pestañeo cuando te miro Para que te recuerde de mi apellido La operación Cóndor invadiendo mi nido Perdono pero nunca olvido Oye Vamos caminando Aquí se respira lucha You just heard uh, Calle 13. Calle 13 is a Puerto Rican band formed by two stepbrothers, René Pérez Joglar, who calls himself Residente, and Jose Cabra Martínez, who calls himself Visitante. And the reason for their names and for the group Calle 13 is that as young people, they were their stepbrothers. Uh, and their parents married and then later divorced, but they kept on meeting and eventually developed into a musical group. The one young man would come to visit the other in a gated section of Puerto Rico, in, <clears throat> in a gated section of the city where they lived, and he would constantly be asked by the security guard if he was a visitante, a visitor, or residente, someone who lived there. And he would have to convince the guy that he was a residente and he could let in this visitante. Uh, that was Latino America, wildly successful group, more uh, Latin Emmys than any other group in the history. And then one the famous song that really started them out was Querido FBI. And um, before that, we had that indomitable Annie DeFranco with Which Side Are You On? The uh, Labor... The uh, Labor Troubadour singing a famous song, Which Side Are You On? Uh, which side are you on? It might be the devil and it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Are you going to serve capital or are you going to serve labor? Are you going to serve yourself or someone else? as big money tries to kill Mother Earth. Which side are you on? And before that, we had the indomitable Malcolm X. His work in this case is over 50 years old, but 
it's right on the money because he's talking about issues that have not gone away, that have not, in most cases, really improved much at all. Health care. He was talking about the community people wanted to build a hospital in Harlem. But through some dispute, some labor dispute perhaps, white workers refused to go and work there. So, black citizens were denied local health care. And one which we just can't shake, can we? We just cannot get rid of police brutality against African-American men. Malcolm X brings up the issue of a man who was a Korean War veteran was beaten to death by L.A. police. All right, it's coming up on uh, quarter till 11. We're going to play our news shows and then uh, take a little break and come back with our feature about pipelines and the oil grab by the Koch brothers. Okay, this is... This is radio labor. Let's start with wind labor. This is local United States. A diversified media enterprises production. I'm Doug Cunningham. The Communications Workers of America say they're working on next steps following the rejection of a proposed AT&T contract by 17,000 CWA workers in California and Nevada. 53% of the workers voting voted against the tentative proposed labor contract. The contract would have raised health care costs for CWA AT&T workers in the company's wired phone, internet, and direct TV businesses. AT&T and CWA are also still trying to reach a new labor agreement for 21,000 AT&T CWA wireless workers in 36 states. Will Empower is a new project launching in September to empower the rise of women into labor movement leadership positions. Despite their numbers in labor union ranks, women are projected to be the majority of union members by 2023. Just 20% of the AFL-CIO Executive Council are women. The Berger Marx Foundation is dissolving this year, and the foundation is transferring its $1.5 million in assets to the project Will Empower. It's a joint project of Rutgers University and Georgetown University. The leadership team includes women with decades of experience in the labor movement. Dr. Sherry Davis Faulkner of Rutgers Center for Innovation and Worker Organization is one of the leaders of Will Empower. Speaking on the Washington, D.C. AFL-CIO Council's Arise radio program, Davis Faulkner describes what Will Empower aims to do. I think the thing that's really important about Will Empower is that we're, we're looking at multiple different strategies for being able to bring um, dynamic women uh, more into the labor movement and to create pathways for them to be able to see various types of leadership. Davis Faulkner says Will Empower will assist and support the new generation of women labor movement leaders. We know that there are so many young women who are, have been activated um, over the last couple of years through different movements. Um, we want to make sure that they're paying close attention to the labor movement and that they're seeing this as an opportunity for them to do concrete things to change the lives of 
themselves, their families, their communities. The American Federation of Teachers applauds the 18 state attorneys general who are suing Education Secretary Betsy DeVos over her decision to delay regulations that protect student loan borrowers. The AFT says, quote, the federal government has a moral and legal obligation to act as a watchdog to protect students from ripoff artists and frauds, but Betsy DeVos and this administration continue to side with predatory for-profit schools over students being defrauded, end quote. The AFT wants protections against predatory lending for student borrowers. WIN is made possible in part by the OPEIU, the Office and Professional Employees International Union. You've been listening to WIN, Workers Independent News. For more information, visit workersindependentnews.com. Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, July 7th, 2017. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the report this week, a new fire and safety accord in Bangladesh will cover two and a half million workers. Driverless cars will cause widespread job losses. Climate change disasters will cause more child labor. And the Labor Start report about union events around the world. This is Radio Labor. Global unions have succeeded in negotiating a renewed fire and safety accord to cover 1,000 apparel factories in Bangladesh. The new agreement comes as the current accord is set to expire in May 2018. The original accord was put in place after the 2013 Rana Plaza accident near Dhaka, which killed 1,200 mostly young women garment workers and injured some 2,000 more. The global unions which have been working with major apparel companies to implement the accord are Uni, which includes members who sell apparel in retail stores, and Industrial, which has affiliated garment worker unions in Bangladesh. Jenny Holcroft is an Assistant General Secretary of Industrial. She was interviewed by the BBC and asked about the significance of the new accord. Well, it's very significant for us because what it means is that the Bangladesh Accord that we signed with the brands four years ago is working. We have a massive operation in Bangladesh working to inspect the factories independently and to do all of the remediation work necessary to make them safe. That work is still ongoing. It's a huge effort. But what this new agreement means is that the brands trust in the process in having a binding agreement with global unions and bringing more than 200 brands to the table as we have in the current accord that gives us the muscle to work at the industry level and to actually make a difference on the ground in Bangladesh. Ms. Holcroft was asked if the new accord scheduled to be implemented next May is stricter than the original one that was negotiated in 2013. 
Well, it is in the sense that we're looking at how to really empower workers because it's one thing to fix the physical buildings and that's obviously the most urgent thing, but the workers themselves need to be empowered that when they spot safety issues in the factory, they can raise it with their managers without fear of reprisal, they can refuse to undertake unsafe work and they can clear out of the building if it looks that it's particularly unsafe. But for that you really need empowerment and for that you need trade unions. So there's going to be a much stronger focus in the second accord about making sure that we have that sustainable change where workers can take a real active role in protecting their own safety in those factories. Of course, the proof of effectiveness of the accord is whether it has changed conditions in the factories. Ms. Holcroft was asked if the accord has had a significant effect, if it has changed things. Well, in terms of health and safety in the garment industry, everything has changed. Before, we had individual efforts by brands in the many factories that they're sourcing materials from, and it was never able to get traction. You've got multiple brands sourcing from the same factories, so their individual influence is quite Quite diluted but when you have an entire industry effort with everybody pulling in the same direction and you have a systematic independent safety inspection and remediation program you can do something that's absolutely never been done before and that's what we've seen with this accord process one of the great challenges facing unions which represent transportation workers is the advent of driverless trucks. A new study by the International Transport Forum says that automated freight transport could reduce demand for truck drivers in the U.S. and Europe by 50 to 70 percent over the next 15 years. The result could be that up to four and a half million trucking jobs could disappear. One of the organizations involved in producing the new report is the International Transport Workers Federation. The ITF represents more than 16 million workers who are members of 700 unions in 150 countries. Mac Arata is the Inland Transport Secretary of the ITF. He was interviewed at a conference in Leipzig, Germany, where the report about autonomous freight transport was released. Autonomous freight transport. Is this a good thing? Is this, is this going to be something important for the future? It could be a good thing if this improves road safety, this reduces uh, carbon emission, if this is efficient, if there's a fairer distribution of the operations, transport, the transport operations between the different hours of the day, then perhaps this is a good thing that there is less road congestion, for example, but it should not be at the cost of the workers being displaced without proper compensation or uh, redeployment or training. Conflicts in the world and disasters caused by factors such as climate change may dramatically increase the amount of child labor in the world. Seamarie Ainsborough reports. There are 230 million children worldwide living in conflict areas. 100 million children are affected by natural disasters every year. These crises can affect a family's ability to feed, educate, and protect their children, and so millions of children may be forced into work just to survive. How to address these issues is one of the goals of the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization. Jacqueline Damerinville, a program officer with the FAO, was recently interviewed by UN Radio and asked to describe child labor. 
Child labor is work that harms a child's health, safety, or morals, or work that prevents a child from fully benefiting from education. It's also work undertaken by a child who is too young to be employed. So, for example, a child working on a fishing boat or an adolescent applying pesticides. It could also be a child who's been pulled out of school to work on the farm or herd livestock. Not all work undertaken by children is considered child labor. So work that's undertaken in safe conditions, that protects a child, that doesn't interfere with their education, that's age appropriate, that could all be acceptable forms of engagement of children in agriculture and that can contribute to help build their skills for the future. Unfortunately, uh, there are many cases in agriculture where children's work goes beyond these limits. The FAO has published a new guide on preventing child labor in the agricultural sector during times of disaster or conflict. It can be found on the organization's website at www.fao.org. This is Seamary Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labor. And now here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a small sample of the average of 300 news stories added to our site each day last week. Our top stories section included links to coverage of the national general strike in Brazil as unions mounted protests against the national government, the murder of a Colombian union leader, a new initiative designed to increase the proportion of women amongst union leaders in the United States, and the labor movement's reactions to the approaching G20 summit. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. South African zoo workers were picketing in their wage dispute. Kenyan university workers walked out yet again in their never-ending effort to enforce an existing agreement with their employer. Serbian car manufacturing workers downed tools as a response to increased workloads and in order to press their demand for a wage increase. Unions representing state employees in Nigeria ended their strike when an agreement was reached on the payment of outstanding pension and employee welfare entitlements. Indian unions were organizing flash strikes and rallies to push for increases to the minimum wage in several sectors. And a long-running brewery dispute in Canada continued. Our top working women's stories included coverage of the announcement that the president of the Jamaican Domestic Workers Union has been named the Caribbean Woman of the Year, the gender division of labor in the Indonesian palm oil industry, news that 10 days of domestic violence leave is soon to be standard in Australia, and the union fight against a discriminatory dress code recently introduced by the Ugandan government. The health and safety newswire we run in cooperation with Hazards magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the hazard that dogs pose to British posties, the risks of physical violence and even shooting faced by American firefighters, and the deaths of 13 garment workers in an explosion in a Bangladesh garment factory. Currently, Labor Start is running six online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. And that's it. International labor news you can use. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity.
That was uh, <clears throat> Radio Labor, news from all over the world. Remember, you're only alone when you don't stand up. And if you don't stand up, they'll say you stood up for sitting down. Let's play a little song now. And then we'll get on probably the biggest issue facing working people is what they're going to do. Uh, are they going to help dismantle this earth? Are they going to stand by and watch while big money tries to strangle Mother Earth? Are they going to be the ones who do it? Because face it, the work that's done to pollute, pollute and kill the earth is done by working people. So at some point, we're going to have to stand up and say, no, no, uh, we're not going to do this anymore. Okay, we're going to find good work to do. Here's Tracy Chapman. You know that 
Uh, Tracy Chapman's Rape of the World. Again, our choice as working people is are we going to stand around and watch as big money strangles Mother Earth? Are we going to be the ones to help do it? At some point, we're going to have to take a stand. This is an article from Popular Resistance about activists who are trying to stop a pipeline and need your support. Check out the story at Popular Resistance and their websites and uh, where you can donate money to this cause. Uh, goes like this. Last spring, Elisa Gerhardt and her mother Ellen heard chainsaw motors revving in the woods behind their southern Pennsylvania home. Pipeline workers had returned to finish clearing a patch of Gerhardt's 27-acre forest. The two women, joined by other activists, raced into the woods, and Aliza climbed a 40-foot-high tree, white pine. Cutting that tree would have brought her down with it. The workers were forced to stop. The battle over Gerhardt's land is part of the international debate over energy and fossil fuels. And that's what we're going to talk about right now. We have, we have our guest commentator, Vita Castaneda Morgan. Morning, Vita. Good morning. I want to thank you for coming in. And um, I'd like to ask you to talk, if you will, about pipelines. I know we just got over one struggle, but it's clear that big business is not going to be satisfied with one victory. They're coming for more. Isn't that the case? Yeah, that is the case. They're even trying in Minnesota now to pass another pipeline that although they have five pipelines that literally run every day 
every single day underneath the national forest and underneath one of the main water sources of Minnesota. They're now petitioning to have another pipeline to be constructed in the same area, and this time to go from Canada all the way out to the Gulf of Mexico again. These guys never quit, do they? They really don't. <laughs> and so the thing is, though, what I also came here to talk about is how the update on Standing Rock and how things have changed and the tides have sort of turned. Although there is oil that is flowing in the Dakota Access Pipeline presently, and it's still being constructed, there has been a ruling on June 14th of this year. Um, the DC District Court judge, his name is Bosberg, hopefully I'm saying that correctly, um, he ruled in favor of the, the Sioux tribe, stating that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers failed to perform an adequate study of the pipeline's environmental consequences when it first approved construction. He also said that the Trump administration failed to conduct an adequate environmental review of the pipeline after Trump ordered that the Army Corps could fast-track and greenlight the now project. Is this, now, is this injunction going to stop the project, or has it stopped? No, unfortunately, <clears throat> this injunction injunction hasn't even stopped the project. It actually doesn't pause it. It doesn't do anything. The thing is, though, since the Sioux tribe now has the favor of the courts in Washington, D.C., they can meet again. They're going to meet in a few months, from what I understand, and both sides are going to bring more information so that maybe by August it could actually be shut down. Like, possibly. It's possible. But at this point, it's the cost to make it is $3.8 billion. So that's the amount of money that's on, at stake in terms of the initial, you know, payments that the Koch brothers and all their uh, affiliates make when they're investing in this project, that's the money that they might lose. And then also the profits that will come off of it if it were built. So they're gonna keep fighting pretty hard. And it's literally 1,172 miles of pipeline across the country. Amazing, and, and we should drive the point home that this is all to benefit uh, American oil companies but the oil is actually being moved from Canada to New Orleans, to Louisiana, ports in Louisiana, so that American oil refiners can sell this oil to China. It's not even going to the U.S. The name of the company is actually Energy Transfer Partners that is, owns the project, essentially and they want to transport more than 520,000 barrels of oil per day <laughs> so that they can do as, exactly as you said, refine it. And I mean, the real, the issue here that the reason this is a problem is because this pipeline, just as many others that have been done, usually go through areas that are indigenous or sacred lands or national forests, areas that are not, you know, like they don't necessarily have commercial value, but they're not always protected 
by the community or its citizens. So the people, the people in the area with the least political power. Right, exactly. So at this point, what's at stake is Lake Oahe in North Dakota, and it's sacred to the local Lakota and Dakota people of that area. So now, if they need to get water, they can't even get water because not only is it sacred, that's their main water source. So. This pipeline is the same as all the other pipelines that have come before. The other pipelines that they've built throughout America, every year they have an average of 200 plus like leaks, essentially. And you can even see it like when BP had that disaster that they still haven't been held accountable for in the Gulf of Mexico. And just like all those oil spills, we see it on a mass scale. We're starting to see it because now it's 10 years later, 15 years later, how it's actually completely crippling the entire environment, the marine life, the people who work there who normally would make money from fishing on a local level. There's no such thing as organic anymore because all the fish are contaminated by the stuff that they have in the pipeline. Um, obviously the crude oil, you know? So if that happens to Lake Oahe as, I mean, most likely it will considering how uh, backwards these things are. We're literally using technology that's so backwards that we could be using sustainable technology that wouldn't wouldn't affect anybody we could be using wind power water power solar power and we wouldn't have any of these problems but these people are stuck in the old ways so these pipelines are going to keep breaking and they're going to keep being faulty and there's no money in making new technology for it there's only money in making them and shipping the oil that's the problem okay um anything you want to add to sum up thought of a great song to play after you're coming to. Wow, well, I was talking. <laughs> well, I already had it. <laughs> no, no. Um, I think, basically, what's happening in Minnesota, as Winona LaDuke said, she said that if they approve the pipeline in Minnesota, there will be another Standing Rock. And the one good thing that did come out of Standing Rock is that now... Since 1492, or since, since the natives have been occupied in that area, it's been seven generations. So a lot of the young native communities and Mexican communities and brown communities are starting to like realize, obviously, that they're just uh, one in a series of many generations that are going through this struggle. And they're like getting together and forming a consciousness and awareness that hopefully one day could be powerful enough to keep these people accountable and to protect. Okay, thank you very much, Vita Castaneda Morgan, visiting us from Davis, California. And the song I thought of was this one, The Last Poets. White man's got a god complex. Corner, uptown. I turn around and hear the sound. A voice is talking about who else would who's gonna dig die under next. A river? Cause well, the white man's got a god complex. Got a Silent god. niggas scream for help. Ah, help me, help me. Nigga, make your own help. Shit, you need it. I turn around and hear the sound. Jukebox is playing in bars. 
cars Cleaning in a broke dick dog Sitting in a big fine hog Dressed very fine in a mohair silk fine But Jim Dale died next cause The white man's got a god complex Hey brother, what's your sport, my man? I got just the thing for you Only cost ten and two What you gonna do, baby? I got black ones, brown ones, red ones, yellow ones I even got a white one if you wanna buy some Yeah, that's right 258, play it straight I got it all worked out you Know what I'm talking about Been reading my dream book Ain't no way in the world a kid gonna get to Nigga, what you mean? I didn't hit nigga, you full of shit Lick dies uh, Now seven Come on, be nice and hit eleven Well, what do you know? It's little Joe Hey, my man got twenty dollars Say, little Joe don't blow Ha, baby needs a pair of shoes Ha, papa's got the funky blues Ha, mama plays the cross with the news Snake dies Sorry, nigga, you lose The line forms to the real lady And I don't care if you never cash your welfare checks Cause the white man's got a god complex But I got ten babies, I ain't got no man I ain't got no choice but to hold out my hand And feed my young ones the best way I can Hey man, what you mean no doubles on blackjack? Pump, you better change that rule Cause I ain't no fool You better be cool Jim or you'll die next Cause the white man's got a god complex Hey, my man, uh, I wanna cop a nickel bag uh, You say all oh, you got is skag Wow, that's a drag Cause uh, I don't wanna cop no Dope is death Next cause The white man's got a god complex Hey, baby, what's the gig at tonight? Well, there's one over at Slicks for faggots and tricks There's one around graveyard side of town That'll cost you a pound But if you go and know what I know You better pack your piece at least Or you'll die next cause The white man Got a god complex Mr. Stein I don't pay enough rent For this pad to be mine But you just wanna cheat me Cause I ain't your kind Damn, can't you see the places falling down? No, you can't dig it Cause you ain't never around Damn, I'm so poor I don't know what in the hell I'ma do anymore Not from this day to the next Cause the white man's got a god complex I'm making guns I'm God I'm God I'm making bombs Government selling me some cover up. 
weaponizing pesticides, poisoning my groceries. Nothing but another drug, a license they can buy and sell. No, I don't mind dying. No, no, no. 
to be alone. We kicked it off with The Rape of the World by Tracy Chapman. And again, we confront ourselves when we go to the heart of the question. At the heart of the question of The Rape of the World is, are you contributing to it or are you trying to halt it and nourish the earth? As a worker, you sometimes don't have those choices. I want to pay homage now to a great musician who always told everybody that his birthday <clears throat> that his birthday was July the 4th. Well, it turns out it wasn't. It turns out that the great Louis Armstrong was born August 4th. And became certainly the most influential trumpeter and one of the most influential musicians who ever lived. <coughs> Louis Armstrong came from New Orleans. He was born there and ran the streets there. His parents generally either didn't have time for him or left him alone. So he ran around the neighborhood, you know, uh, dressed in rags and uh, hungry all the time. <clears throat> and he was taken in by a Jewish family from a Polish Jew Jewish family. The guy was a, a rag picker, a garbage man, and he gave young Lewis work. 
which kept him out of trouble. And uh, <clears throat> with the work, Lewis was able to buy his first trumpet, a battered horn from a pawn shop. By the time he was 12, he was already adept at it. And the man's wife, I mean, these were white people, European white people. You might expect that they would naturally be racist, and they weren't. The, the wife insisted that Louis Armstrong have enough to eat, and when he went out to work that he was dressed <clears throat> neatly. For the rest of his life, Armstrong wore a Star of David to honor this commitment of these two white people who helped him so much. And uh, it's not a thing where we're trying to get everybody to sign on to a mighty whitey thing. In other words, I'm not saying this is, these were good white people. These were just good people, as we all should be. Here's Louis Armstrong playing Brechton Viles' Mac the Knife about probably some characters that he grew up with. Mac the Knife, the creation of Kurt Weil, never lived an old story, though. But as Louis puts it, he grew up with lots of characters just like Mac the Knife, played at many of their funerals. This was London, Empress Hall, 1956. Old just a jackknife as like he did And he keeps saying out of sight Shark bites with his teeth dear Scarlet billows start to spill Fancy gloves though as like he did So that's not a trick Walk Sunday morning, lies a body oozing light. Someone sneaking around the corner. Is that someone like tonight? It's from a tugboat by the river. I see my bag drooping down. And the cement from the way, dear, that you might keep back to town. Yeah, Louis Miller disappeared, dear, after drawing out all his cash. And my keep spent like a sailor. Did our boy do something rash? Tadri, Jenny Diver, Daddy Lanyard, Sweet 
Lucy Brown Oh, the line falls on the rise That's Maggie's back to town Armstrong Mac the Knife from uh, 1956. Here's some early Louis Armstrong where he takes a blues tune and just tears the guts out of it. He was always a blues man.
Okay, the great Louis Armstrong. Um, play one more by him. It's a song to relax. Hope you're having a quiet, happy Saturday following a week of good work. So kick back now and listen to one of the most renowned sides in jazz history. West End Blues. Started with 1956 version of Brecht and Weil's Mac the Knife from the Three Penny Opera. That's 
We jump back to 1925 and Louis Armstrong's rendition of the St. Louis Blues. Armstrong's musical statement was largely built on the blues and on teaching America how to swing. Last one was the West End Blues, kind of a key tone for young trumpet players of the time uh, that they would listen to over and over and over again. One great trumpet player, Bunny Berrigan, said, what you did if you were a young trumpet player was you took your horn and you took your photograph of Louis Armstrong and you hit the road. Armstrong was criticized for being too much of an Uncle Tom. Billy Holiday once commented that Pops, com- Pops Toms, but he Toms from the heart. Armstrong did come out in 1957 criticizing President Eisenhower as two-faced, um, canceled a planned tour of the Soviet Union on behalf of the State Department, said, the way they're treating my people in the South, the government can go to hell. He called Eisenhower two-faced and gutless because of his inaction over the conflict over school desegregation. Armstrong often used his own privilege within white society to help others of his own race. Louis Armstrong always said he was born August 4th. Always said he was born July 4th, but it turned out he was born August 4th. We're about running out of time, but... uh, Next week, women you wanna, wouldn't want to mess with? How much can you get away with when you're a picketer in front of a, a big consumer store? We'll have our special feature about the San Francisco general strike of 1934 and other concurrent uh, labor actions. Monopoly capitalism goes amok. Amazon buys Whole Foods. What does it mean for the workers and the consumers? And finally, a key underlying question. Whatever happened to labor schools? Whatever happened to labor schools? Okay, on our way out now. Let's see. I'm going to find our, our out song. Gary Miraji.
negotiating table, where you work, that is, you're probably on the menu. who cause the sun to set again with irreverent bow, who rival the moon with gravitational force, who leave rooms feeling empty and earthquake struck, who don't give a fuck, who make, who do, who dream out loud and laugh like maniacs, who draw shock and awe on faces graced with watching, who create from the soul of an orgasm, who swagger even alone in the shower, who fight with passion and love with passion and are passion, who catapult over cliffs in the name of revolution, who would rather die than fall in line to conform, who constantly challenge the norm, who greet each and every day as if just born. I say to you, I know your greatness, the way a suicide jumper knows weightless just before the impact, and in fact, I know it best when I say to you, Space me. brings you high time story every Wednesday night from 10 to midnight. Throw your diamonds in the sky if you feel the vibe. The rock is still alive every time I rhyme. Forever, ever, 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 ever. Good morning, this ain't Vietnam still. People lose hands, legs, arms for real. Little was known on Sierra Leone. How we connect to the diamonds we own. When I speak of diamonds in this song, I ain't talking about the ones that be gone. I'm talking about Rockefeller, my home, my chain. These ain't conflict diamonds. Is they Jacob? Don't lie to me, man. See the part of me saying, keep shining. How? You can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> Good 
evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Well, hey there, San Francisco. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find counter-offer, and my offering you amazing late-night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini. And creamy-licious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They get them. And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads going to come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Blender's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son! Tell me what you think about your situation. Complication, aggravation. Is it getting to you? Then tune in live every Sunday from 12 to 2 p.m. to the edge of insanity with myself, Paul Brumbaugh, Kit Marie, Brandon Ray, and Mistress Christine. All on Mutiny Radio. That's right, PCRcollective.org. We'll see you there. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to Joke Workshop, 
there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from... Howdy, folks. This is the Flat Black Plastic Show coming to you on mutinyradio.fm.